morning, we're going to take a break from 1 Timothy, and we are going to head into the Gospel of John. Uh, in the youth ministry, we've been teaching through the Gospel of John for this year, and so it's been a, a joy to teach through that and, and to see the ins and outs of, of the scriptures there, specifically in John. And this morning, we're going to be in John 15, 1 through 17, as John so faithfully read for us. Um, so I'd ask you, if you have a Bible, to, uh, to turn there and uh, open your Bibles up to John 15, because we're going to be in the Word and a couple other places this morning. And I want, just want to pray quickly um, for the Lord to, to bless our time as we're in His Word. Heavenly Father, we give you great praise this morning uh, as we open your Word. Uh, Lord, I just pray simply that ears would hear and hearts would be opened to the truth of your Word. Lord, may you speak to us this morning and give us truth and knowledge that only you can give us that is sufficient for all things. And may we just know you better, Lord, this morning uh, through your word and the preaching of it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So our text this morning, in my opinion, is a, is a more well-known one. Um, the, 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 the true vine, Jesus being the true vine. Passage coming from the Gospel of John, which was written by the Apostle John, of course. The disciple whom Jesus loved. We hear a lot throughout John that the theme of love. Um, the theme of love. John's gospel is unique in that it reiterates Jesus' divinity, divinity, his love for his people, and his close relationship with the Father. John also focuses on Jesus' teaching ministry, and particularly the I am sayings of Jesus. John 15 has the seventh I am statement of Jesus, I am the true vine. Jesus provides a powerful metaphor of the vine and branches. And one of my hopes this morning is to discover how it applies to our lives today. When we read it, we hope to apply it. The I am statements in the Gospel of John are a series of seven declarations made by Jesus that reveal something essential about himself and his mission. Each statement begins with the phrase, I am, and is followed by a metaphor that emphasizes a different aspect of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Some of us may be familiar with the I am statements and some of us may not be. And so I want to quickly just run through them just to uh, refresh us or renew us in these statements. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, showing him as a source of spiritual nourishment, a role in providing eternal life. In John 8, I am the light of the world, Jesus says, showing us that he is a source of bringing salvation to a world lost in darkness. In John 10, I am the door, a statement emphasizing Jesus as the way to salvation and his role in providing access to the Father. The fourth one, I am the good shepherd, in John 10, 11, and 14. This statement emphasizing Jesus as the protector and the provider of his people, his role in leading them to safety and abundant life, just as a shepherd does for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five, the statement showing us that Jesus is the source of eternal life and has the power to raise the dead to life. The sixth one, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six, showing us Jesus as the only way to the Father, the embodiment of truth and the giver of life. And finally, where we are this morning in John fifteen, I am the true vine, showing us that Jesus is the source of fruitfulness and his role in enabling us to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. 
So each of these statements reveals something essential to us about Jesus. And it reveals that to us, to his disciples as well, when we read, and also as we read them, um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but we read and we're able to also better understand who he is and why he came. So before we get into the text, we want to set the scene for our text today. Jesus and the other 11 disciples, Judas has gone away at this point. He's no longer with them, with them excuse me, because he's about to betray Jesus. Um, they have just taken part in the Last Supper, which took place on the night before Jesus' crucifixion. At the end of chapter 4, 14, sorry, Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us go from here. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be betrayed. And as they walk, Jesus looks to encourage his disciples and maybe also challenge them a bit as well. Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was to come. He knew that he would soon be arrested, that he would be tried, an unjust trial, and sentenced to death. And he wanted to encourage his disciples and prepare them for the challenges ahead. So he used this opportunity to teach them the importance of abiding in him and bearing good fruit. So throughout the New Testament... The idea of bearing fruit is, is well documented. We hear it quite a bit. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Or Paul also mentioning the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. So this idea as Christians for us, bearing fruit is something we see commonly and something Jesus wants to press on his disciples as they're walking towards the garden away from the supper. Bearing fruit should be something we are familiar with when it comes to our life as a Christian. We all should want to bear fruit in our walk with God, but sometimes we can get bogged down in the day-to-day. And even more dangerously, we begin to actually shoulder more of the responsibility of producing fruit and doing good works on behalf of God, as opposed to forgetting that it's our relationship with Christ that fuels our fruitfulness. Apart from Christ, as we'll see in a moment in this text, we cannot bear fruit. Christ is needed for us to bear fruit in our lives as Christians. And in our text this morning, Jesus explicitly draws his listeners into three key aspects of abiding in Christ as a true vine. First one we'll look at is abiding in Christ himself. Asking the question, what does it look like? What does it mean for us to abide in Christ? Secondly, remaining in his love through obedience. So we abide in Christ and we remain in his love through being obedient to Christ. And we'll ask that question, what does that look like? And thirdly, Loving one another as Christ loved us. The hope this morning is that our hearts will be opened to the truth of God's word and we'll all be challenged and hopefully equipped to live abiding in Christ so that we can bear much fruit for his glory, not for our own, but for his. So let's take a look at our text starting 
in the first six verses. Looking at the idea of abiding in Christ. This is the first six verses of John 15. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, does not bear fruit, he prunes. Oh, sorry. That does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus begins with this idea of him being the true vine. He's making a clear distinction. Jesus is making a clear distinction between two types of branches, really. That those that bear fruit and those that do not, right? There are branches that bear fruit and there are branches that do not bear fruit. And the key to bearing fruit is abiding in the vine, abiding in the life giver, abiding in Jesus himself. The disciples being told here that they are clean would have been an encouragement, I'm sure, to them. As, as Christians especially, we see ourselves in our natural state, sinful, not clean, but through Christ redeemed, made clean. So we ask ourselves, why are they clean? He goes on to say, because of the word he has spoken to them. So one takeaway here, God's word brings spiritual growth to us. It shows the importance of God's word to us. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. We should long for the word of God. Long to be taught by it, to read it, to be immersed by it. Through it we are seen as clean, as we can see here. Christ says, word is crucial to our growth. But Jesus also brings light to light that the Father, the vine dresser, will take away the branches that don't bear fruit. Just as we would in our gardens, if we see a dead branch, we rid the plant of it so that whatever is growing may stay healthy, may continue to grow and have life. We see a diseased branch or something, we, we cut it off. We don't want the rest of the plant dying as well. Judas may have been an example of this. Someone who claimed Christ but fell away. The point was that the disciples didn't know that at the time, up until Jesus revealed it, right? The disciples saw him as a disciple, a follower of Christ. Jesus knew. Jesus did know what Judas was going to do. Jesus did know. And so Judas can be an example of that for us, that idea of a father pruning away, getting rid of the dead branches. In an attempt to, to keep good time this morning, I'd commend to you Dan's sermon from last week, um, talking about apostasy and false doctrine, um, goes deep into that subject of how do we identify those things and how do we see those things. Uh, addressed well were the ins and outs of this matter, and I'd encourage you to listen to that if you haven't. And so coming back to the text, we see this, this very repeated word in the text, Abide, something we like to do in youth group when we go through a text, we look for repeated words. Abide is very much repeated, right? 
Um, and so the question is worth asking. One is why it's important. Okay, it's important for us to see that. But also, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean for us as Christians, as believers in the living God, to abide in his son, to abide in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, for me especially, and for everybody, I should say, but words sometimes, I need, I need definitions. Um, it's simple, and it helps me. To abide means to remain and to stay connected. Okay, Remain and stay connected. So literally, it means to remain with Christ, to stay connected to Christ. And so it shows us that a relationship with Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's an ongoing process of dependence on Jesus. We are constantly needed to be dependent on Christ. Recognizing that we are dependent on him for our spiritual life and growth. It goes perfectly with the vine and the branches, right? Just as a branch cannot survive apart from the vine, if you remove a branch from the vine, it dies. The vine is the life giver. It brings life and nutrients and sustenance to the branch so that it can produce fruit. Just as a branch cannot survive apart from the vine, so we cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. We need to be rooted in him, drawing our strength and our sustenance from his life-giving spirit. And as we abide in him, as we continue to live for him, to be connected to him, we begin to bear the fruit of the spirit, as we see in Galatians 5, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But abiding in Christ isn't just about acknowledging our dependence on him, right? It's also about actively pursuing a relationship with him. We see in verse 7, Jesus tells the disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This implies an ongoing conversation with Jesus, a daily seeking of his will and of his presence. We would just call it prayer, right? Praying to our Father constantly. Lord, may I be aligned with your will today. Lord, may I live a life that pleases you today, day in and day out. And he'll do that for us. Provide that, that strength and that energy to do those things if it's with his will. If we're in his word, we know what his will is. And that should be an encouragement to us. So it means reading his word, praying, worshiping, and obeying his commands. And honestly, that's something very practical for us to reflect on this early in the passage, right? Usually, sometimes I like to keep the reflections and the applications for the end. But when we think about this, it's hard to, to ignore the implications for us, um, practically speaking, uh, setting aside time each day to read the, the scriptures, right? We ask a lot of times, whether it's in team ministry or anybody, it's not just team, it's anybody. What's one thing you're struggling with this week or this month or this year so far? It's reading the word of God, right? Finding time to do that. I know it is for me. So putting time aside to, to read the scriptures, to pray to our heavenly father, and even more so seeking counsel when things are hard, not holding it in, keeping it to ourselves. Confessing sin, seeking forgiveness, right? When we fall short and we mess up. 
being intentional about our relationships with other believers, seeking to encourage and build one another up and not tear one another down. It's a beautiful picture at conference when there are men in the same denomination who don't agree on something. Very, it's very unlikely that I've seen men torn down, but, but even built, just built up and encouraged as we debate topics, whether it's on the floor or somewhere else. We know that there's a mutual love in Christ and a desire to please him and to honor him. So building one another up in the faith. These are all things that are fruits of our ongoing relationship with Christ as we continue to abide in him. So we are to abide in Christ is one. We are to to stay connected to him, to remain with him as we live our lives. Secondly, as we move on to the second part of this passage, there's, there's two big ideas here in verses 7 through 11 that I think we should look at. Again, side note, there's a, a ton of things we could look at, right, in this passage. It's, it's, such a, it's a fruitful passage. Um, there's a lot there. And so um, there's many things that we could see, but there's two things I want us to look at here. First is in verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The point is simple and succinct, right? The Father is glorified through fruit bearing. So as we bear fruit, God gets the glory. Okay? It's not about us. It's not for us. It's not to pat ourselves on the back. It's not to give Trinity BFC the check mark or even the BFC the check mark. It's to, it's to say, God, I'm doing this for your glory. You get glorified through the fruit that I bear. He gets the glory when we produce fruit. It advances his kingdom. Psalm 115, right? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's all about him. And that's why we do what we do, hopefully, for his sake and for his glory. So God gets the glory. And even more so, it's proof of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So our outward fruit, the fruit that we produce, so as a branch, we're connected to that vine that is Christ. And when we're connected faithfully and strongly to that vine, we produce good fruit. Okay? When I see good fruit on something, I usually think it's a healthy vine, right? Good nutrients. So in the case for us as Christians, that is very much the case. The vine doesn't get healthier, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the vine. So that's a proof of us being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our fruit testifies to the truth of the gospel. Our fruit testifies to the truth of the gospel. Disciples are to be connected to Jesus like a branch to its vine. Secondly, in verses 7 through 11, Jesus tells us that abiding in him also means remaining in his love through obedience. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And so another question for us to ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean to remain in Christ's love? What does that mean for us? It means recognizing the depth and the breadth of his love for us, right? Recognizing how great it is, first off. Just as the Father's, Father loves the Son, so Jesus loves us with a perfect, keyword here, sacrificial love. And this love is not based on our performance or our worthiness. It's based on who he is and what he has done for us on the cross. 
So there's this theme, right? It's about God. It's about God's glory. And we do what we do because of what Jesus did for us. We're empowered through him and by him. And there's more to even say about it coming up. But remaining in Christ's love also means responding to that love with obedience. Right? Here comes the, the harder part. is staying obedient to the word. He says in verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I know for me, and I think for a lot of us, this is, this is a very important point in this, in this text. Um, when we say obedience is not a means of earning God's love, it's a response to the love that he's already shown us. Let me say that again. Obedience is not a means of earning God's love. So the more we obey, doesn't mean God loves us more. It's a response to the love that he has already shown us. So through his love to us, we are then by default obedient. We are then by default called to bear fruit. And we do that. We do that. We can't, misunderstand, we can't misunderstand that. We can't miss even hear that if you misheard me. That's why I wanted to repeat it. An example, and I think, I think a decent one, uh, is for parents, right? For those of you who are parents this morning, it's much easier for us when our children are obedient, correct? Right? Yes. The answer is yes. It's much easier to even maybe like them when they're obedient. But, but the, the, the kicker is we don't love them less when they're not obedient, right? When our children are not obedient or whether they're the best kids in the world, we still love them. My, my love for my boys is not conditional on their obedience. They are my sons, right? And so therefore I love them and I'll always love them. The issue is, do we do it perfectly? No, we are imperfect in our love for our children. We are imperfect in our love for each other. But God's not, right? His is perfect and it's unfailing. His love, and we see it in Psalm 109, 26, right? Help me, Lord, my God, save me according to your unfailing love. God's love does not fail us. God's love is not conditional. It's not conditional in our obedience. Because God loves us, we are obedient. So, how does obedience then take shape in our everyday lives? Well, it means seeking to align our will with God's will. Right? One of the biggest questions, how do we know what God's will is? How do we live our lives in that way? Well, I would just say being in his word, right? Communicating in prayer. God's will is in his word, right? When we see what he says, his truth is in it. His commands for us, even today at the end of this, we'll see a command that he has for us. It's part of his will. It means that we seek to align our will with God's will, to live our lives in a way that honors him. It means following his commands, which I said we'll get to in a minute. Even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular, which it is. It is difficult. It is unpopular. It means seeking to love God and love others just as Jesus did. The very command that we get to in verse 12, where he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Getting a little ahead of myself, but it's not that far away. It's only a verse away. And this, this, this command is one that is very hard for me to comprehend, the weight of it. It's a weighty command, right? We are to love God and love others. 
That seems simple, right? But it's what is at the end, just as Jesus did. That's the hard part. Just as Jesus did. I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear that, I almost tremble a little bit at the call to, to do that. Because we have to remind ourselves again and again of the gospel, right? We continually remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what he did, right? And I go to Philippians 2 to, to do that a lot of times. Philippians 2, 3 and following says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God, with, sorry, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's, that's the Jesus that we have to love others and love God like. Right? Then that's not a simple task. But when we are in God's will, we're in line with him, and we have one another, it's the beauty of a church family and a church body. It's why God gave us the people you see in this room. It's to do that together, to live that life together, to encourage one another. So it's a weighty thing. It's a trembling thing to think about the call of obedience to live like our Savior, Jesus Christ, day in and day out. But the beauty of God's word is that for me, and hopefully for us maybe, when we tremble at something, a truth, a realization that we're to live this life like Jesus. There's good news, right? And it's that the obedience is not a burden, but a joy. In verse 11, which is the next verse, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So if, there's, if you're discouraged this morning with your life following Christ, Jesus tells his disciples and tells us through the reading of his word that there should, be, there should be joy, right? There should be joy coming when we remain in Christ's love through obedience. When we continue to love Christ, to love others, to love God, we experience the fullness of joy. So are we remaining in Christ's love through obedience this morning as we reflect on ourselves? Are the areas of your life where you need to align your will with God's, where are they? Where are you, where you need to seek to love others as Christ loved us? High calling, it's a high calling, but possibly, but a possible one and necessary one when done for God's glory. Our position needs to be of that to glorify God and to serve Christ, to be empowered by the Spirit. It puts us, puts us at the bottom, right? Count others First, count others as more important, important than ourselves. So, we've seen that we need to abide in Christ. We need to stay connected to him. We've also seen that we need to remain in Christ's love through obedience. To be obedient to Christ. And it leads us towards the final part of this text in verses 12 through 17. In the last section here, Jesus gives us the new commandment that we kind of just mentioned, kind of just talked about. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So it's important for us to realize, one, this is a command, right? 
Jesus is commanding us to do this. It's not a suggestion. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a recommendation. It's a command, right? We need to love one another just as he has loved us. Again, it's a very high calling given by Jesus, who is the one who demonstrated that ultimate act of love by laying down his life for us. And the following verses are, are pretty remarkable as well. If you, if you take a look at them, Jesus continues talking to his disciples in verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. It's remarkable, insignificant. Jesus describing his relationship with his disciples as one of friendship, right? Not, not master-servant, but one as a friend, indicating a deep intimacy, a deep closeness with his disciples. And given the cultural context, why I call it significant, in which it, in which it was made, in ancient Israel, rabbis, it was not normal for rabbis to typically refer to their disciples as friends. They were servants. He was the rabbi. And so you have this, this beautiful illustration, in my, in my opinion, um, that when you read Philippians 2, right, he emptied himself to become a servant. And what we see here now in the text, Jesus, who is God, coming down to earth to be a servant. So Jesus has come down to earth to be a servant. And on earth, he is viewed by his disciples and followers as rabbi, right? As master. But now, as Jesus is preparing to head to the cross and show that ultimate act of humility, the Messiah, the King of Kings, calls his disciples friend. So the master has brought himself down to be a servant, and the servant has been elevated to friend. A beautiful picture of, of Jesus' love, which is interwoven throughout the scriptures, is this, this picture of God, master, coming to, be our, coming to be servant, and the servant, the ones who dedicate their life to Christ, being elevated to his, his friend. It's a remarkable sign of Jesus' love and care for his disciples and also all of his people. And that title of friend, as Jesus was saying it in the words that he spoke, may have left the disciples befuddled for only a moment when he says in 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He immediately addresses it in verse 14 and clears it up by saying, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So if we love one another as he has loved us, then we are his friends. Like, I don't know. Every time you think about that, I think about that anyway, it just, it just it becomes overwhelming to think about that. He invites his disciples into a deep and meaningful relationship with him. He entrusts them with the task of carrying on his mission. He soon will not be on, on earth anymore, right? He's approaching his death, also his resurrection is important to note, and his ascension. But the disciples soon will be wondering, Jesus, what are we going to do? As Jesus goes from here, he's going to pray, and then he's going to go off and be carried away. Furthermore, 
Jesus verifies this friendship by telling them that all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. What a privilege for Jesus, the Son of God, to say, to give everything that he's gotten from his Father, God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, to his disciples. Right? Talk about being on the inn. The disciples are on the inn. They're in the inner circle of trust. Right? They are now in the know of everything that the Father has relayed to Jesus. It's a great privilege, and it's quite a revelation from Jesus about the sincerity and the importance of his relationship with the disciples. So you approach the final verses of this passage. Jesus reminds his disciples that he has appointed them to bear fruit. And not just bear fruit, but bear fruit that will last. He says, you did, not choo- you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here Jesus establishes for anyone who's wondering with absolute certainty that his disciples will bear fruit. If we are a disciple of Christ, it's not a question for us, do I bear fruit? If you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, you will bear fruit. He tells us that. He's, he's told us so much so that uh, it should be an encouragement to us as followers of Christ. All that we do for the sake of Christ in Jesus' name will not be in vain. It's for his glory. It's for all, all for him. He tells us in his word here that those who are his will produce lasting fruit because, again, important, he has appointed to us to do so. Again, not our strength, not anything that we have. He's appointed us to do it. So when we are called by Jesus to himself and we trust in Jesus as our Savior, he has appointed us to do things that produce fruit. We will be branches that produce fruit day in and day out. Christians all over the globe spread the gospel, declare the good news, and because of that, people are saved. People are no longer under the guise of of sin and death, but they are seen as redeemed through the blood of Christ and his defeat over death. And I would say to you guys, I would submit to you guys, that because of that, that, that people are saved through the fruit of Christians on this planet for God's glory. That is a fruit, guys, that will last, right? For eternity. That's eternal fruit. For each one of us who have been saved by the grace of God, in Jesus' name, we are now eternally saved. And I'm sure we can think back to somebody or someone who planted that seed, who is bearing fruit, and you receive the gospel, you receive Jesus, and now we go out and we do the same thing. So our love for one another is not merely a duty, but it's a response to the love that Christ has shown us. It is through his love that we are empowered to love others. And it is through our love for others that we demonstrate our love for him. So as we abide in him, keep his commandments and love one another, we will bear much fruit and bring glory to his name. So as we wrap this up and end our time together here this morning, we see in this text that Jesus calls us to abide in him. Right? That, that's common word, commonly word, used word in John. Stay connected to him. To remain in his love through obedience 
and to love one another as he has loved us. We know, we can all relate that these are not easy commands, but they are essential for living the abundant life that Jesus promises us. As we've seen today, abiding in Christ, we ask that question, what does that mean? What does abiding in Christ mean? It means staying connected to him, just as the branch stays connected to the vine. It means recognizing our dependence on him for life, for our nourishment, our spiritual nourishment especially, and our fruitfulness. If we are relying on ourselves or someone else to be fruitful in the Christian walk, we will not be fruitful. (laughs) It means trusting in his love and goodness, even when we don't understand what he's doing in our lives. That's a huge one, I think, for a lot of us as well. If we don't know what he's doing in our lives, the encouragement here is, is to stay faithful. Stay in the word. Don't drop, don't drop this, right? Don't, don't put this down. Open it up. God's will will be evident in your life. Even when we don't understand, he's working in us. Abiding in Christ. Remaining in Christ's love through obedience means responding to his sacrificial love for us with joyful obedience. It means seeking to align our will with God's will and to live our lives in a way that honors him. And it means trusting in, this, in his promise that obedience leads to joy. So obedience to Jesus, obedience to his word, obedience to what he's commanded us is not a weight, right? It's a freedom. I say this a lot to the teens and to people I talk to. I remember before I was saved, Christianity and, and the scriptures and the commands seemed like a weight. It seemed like a rule, uh, sorry, a book of rules to live by, and it felt, it seemed constraining. But the moment that I was saved and, and read the scriptures, it's, it's quite the opposite, right? It is, it is a freedom that comes in serving Jesus and being a friend of Jesus and loving Laura God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So obedience leads to joy and an abundant life in Christ. And finally, Loving one another as Christ loved us means putting others first. Just as Christ put us first by laying down his life for us, and he did it for God's glory. God gets the glory. As sinners repent, people come to saving faith in Christ. God gets the glory. So it's a sacrificial love. It means seeking to meet the needs of others, forgiving those who have wronged us, and being patient, kind, and gracious, and it means relying on the Holy Spirit to empower us to love one another, even when it's difficult. And we know it's difficult, right? We know it's hard, but he keeps us. He keeps us going. So this morning, let me ask you and and end with this question, which I've already asked. Are you abiding in Christ this morning? Are we in God's word constantly? Are we constantly in prayer? Are we remaining in his love through obedience and loving one another as he has loved us? If so, praise the Lord. I think I said this last time I preached. I asked some question and if so, great. That's awesome. I, I don't, I'm not going to stand here and say that's not possible. Keep, keep pressing forward and encouraging and building others up. Keep living a life for Christ. If not, let this text this morning encourage us in the work that is before us. A commentator on the Gospel of John, said this, and I want to conclude with this. He says, True disciples bear fruit. No fruit, no disciple. If Jesus has taken up residence inside of you, inside of your heart, 
you will be different. You will act differently, you will love differently, and you will live differently. The difference is not due to your strength, to your effort, or your zeal. The difference is due to the persistent work of Jesus in you. End quote. So when people see us, whether here this morning in this building, or when we're out in the world doing our weekly tasks, are we seen as different? And in this case, it's good to be different. Today's love is a superficial, is a superficial one to many, but to us as Christians, it is most certainly sacrificial. And that sticks out. That is noticed by the world. And people see that, they ask why, and then we share the gospel, and we see people saved, hopefully, Lord willing. That love sticks out. My prayer is that this morning you will live to serve Jesus, that you bear fruit, that we love one another as commanded. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing this for the first time, you're hearing the gospel, you don't trust Jesus as your Savior, I pray that the truth of his word would set you free, just as it did for me and for many of us in this room. That humility and sacrifice of Jesus would be evident and it would lead you to see your need for a Savior. So let us all this morning seek to live our lives in a way that honors our Lord and Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are just so indebted to you, Lord, for your love for us. Lord, you love us in a way that that no one else can. Lord, I pray this morning that we would abide in your Son, that we would stay connected to your Son through your Word, through prayer, through your church, through your people. Father, build us up. May we be encouraged by your Word often. Lord, I pray that we would remain obedient to you, remaining in your love, I pray, Father, that we would just desire to to see through in our lives that obedience does bring on joy and only a joy that you can give us. Not a joy that's promised by the world, not something temporary, but something everlasting. And Lord, I pray that we would love one another as your son loved us. May that just be a weighty call for all of us this morning, but one that we're willing to take up as we reflect on your son's life, his perfect self coming to this world, and dying a death that we deserved, but defeating death, rising from the grave, and ascending to be with you at your right hand. Lord, I pray this morning that we would would love one another sacrificially and selflessly for your sake and for your glory. So Lord, now as we continue in worship, may we just sing praises to you and, and give you all the glory that you deserve. And it's in your son's name we pray.